Good morning. Well, hey, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, Before we get started, uh, real quick, there's a stool on the stage over there. Uh, If at any point I go grab the stool and sit down, let me tell you, it's not because we're trying to be casual and cool or we're trying to be whatever. Uh, It's because at 38, uh, apparently you can injure your back loading luggage into your minivan uh, and then re-injure it bouncing your two-year-old daughter on your knee. And so... That is why, uh, I know somebody understands in this room, uh, that's why, all right. Uh, as he said, we are beginning a series that we're calling Life Together, where we simply ask the question, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus together? Uh, and so this year, uh, we're going to walk through our four uh, primary identities, if you will, that we are saints, we are family, we are sojourners, and we gather together. And so today, um, actually before, let me say this, uh, la- last week we, we gathered our parish leaders together. Uh, we sat in the, the, what we call the gallery, this room over here, uh, those that can make it. Uh, and and, we, uh, and we, we talked through this series, we talked through some applications and some implications of what it is that we're trying to do and be uh, here at Sojourn. And the reason that we did that is this, uh, we, we don't want this series to be my heart for Sojourn, we don't want this series to be our staff or our elders' heart for Sojourn, but we were hoping and praying um, that maybe this series might be a four-week living reflection of our collective heart for us. And so that's why we did it. All right? Uh, We are saints. That's today. Uh, But before we get to our text, we need to talk about what we mean by the word saint. Because when we say saint, it it brings about some images in our mind, right? So we, we usually either think one of two things. Either one, uh, Mother Teresa, right, where the Roman Catholic Church just declared her a saint, and by that what they mean is this, uh, that you can now pray to her and then she can pray to God on your behalf, right? Uh, we, we do not mean that. Or, more um, commonly maybe, is, is we, we say things like this, man, she is just a saint. I mean, she's really a saint, you notice it's never he's a saint, which uh, I think is offensive, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, but what we mean by that is that, that they're just a really good person, just really good. Uh, we do not mean that either. And so what we do mean uh, is this. Now, when you see the word saint in the scriptures, it's, re- it's just the word holy. And whenever you read saint in your Bible, it's always translating um, the word holy. Uh, and the word holy Uh, or saint here, is a descriptor for all Christians. So one example um, is Ephesians 1.1, the introduction to the letter. This is kind of a status quo uh, example. He says he's writing um, as an apostle to the saints who are in Ephesus. Who are they? Um, Those uh, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, So saint is not a special category for certain people or certain Christians, but it's the, the descriptor for all Christians. And it's the word holy, which is why um, for this week we chose a text that talks about holiness. And it starts out talking about holiness being internal, so let's get to it. 1 Peter 1, 22. We're going to go phrase by phrase, line by line, and just kind of chew. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Let's stop right there. Um... Peter opens the letter, uh, the, the preceding part of chapter 1, with, hey, this is your hope. 
this is the, the calling to holiness, and it's grounded in who Christ is, what Christ has done for you. And then he says, having purified uh, your souls. And the, the word purified, it's a really interesting word choice. It's really interesting what Peter does here, because the word is the verbal form for holy. It's holy, but a verb. Um, there are other words he could have used to maybe communicate the message, but he chose uh, this one, that you might be, that you would holy yourself before the Lord. And, and so if we ask why, uh, why? Because it, it, it means to, to be ritually clean, to be completely acceptable in the sight of God. Why might Peter use this word in this context? And, and here's, um, I, I think, possibly a reason. I, I think Peter knows um, that that longing to be acceptable in the sight of God, it's this innate human desire. It's wired into all of us. It's something that Every man, woman, and child in this room is born wanting. It's, it's, why, uh, it's why we constantly try to make amends with everyone. It's, um, it's why, we, um, why we say, hey, here's how it works. There's good people and bad people. Good people, you know, they get the good stuff. And bad people, uh, not so much for you guys. Uh, but bad people are always out there. there. There's never been anybody who I've met that said, hey, here's how I think the world works. Um, good people heaven, bad people not so much, um, and I'm one of the bad people. Never met them. We always think bad are out there, good is in here. It's this wiring to be acceptable in the sight of God. But for Peter, for Peter to purify your souls, it's found in obedience to the truth. And the way that uh, one commentator really summarized this language said in the New Testament, um, this purified by obedience to the truth, this, this language gets used in one of two ways. They said it gets used um, either to describe initiation into Christianity by faith in Christ or inward purification through ongoing repentance. And so when Peter uses this phrase, here's what he's saying. He's saying, um, listen, there, there is no becoming acceptable in the sight of God apart from faith in Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, there is uh, no being acceptable in the sight of God. There is no good people, bad people. Good people get heaven, bad people don't. And then he's saying, there is no, and I think this is pertinent to many of us in here. This is what I want you to hear today. Apart from everything else, there is no growth in holiness without repentance marking your life. There is no growth in holiness without repentance marking your life. And so we talk a lot about um, proximity at Sojourn. Hey, come live near, be close, be close to one another, move in, don't, don't commute in from Georgia. And so let me, uh, let me illustrate why that is. Um, uh, I'm going to maybe use some extremes here to illustrate a point. I, uh, I, I have a I've had a lifelong wrestle. Uh, I've had a lifelong idol, sin struggle, and it's this, success and achievement. Um, that thing that I want most, which by the way, if you want to know what is my idol, ask the question, what do I want most, and then answer it honestly. What I want most in life is success and achievement. And I, uh, I've got all kinds of daddy issues, and that's where it comes from. Well, there's a lot of issues. That's just some of it. Uh, but uh, I'm willing to do whatever it takes if that means work 30 days a month. It's not good, that's not holy, that's not honorable, that's me confessing before my church. And you know who sees it? Um, the, the people it's most visible to, my wife and our staff. You know who doesn't see it? My lifelong friends who live in Friendswood. 
They don't see it. Listen, I, I have lifelong friends. Like, I, I have guys and their wives that live in Friendswood, or they're all in South Houston, uh, and I, I love these people. Like, I love them. Um, I, I will drink coffee with them when we're 80 years old, and we'll talk about those days when they led me to Christ and the crazy Yahoo that I was then. Like, we, we will laugh together 50 years from now, assuming, you know, we're alive at 88. Uh, but you know what they don't do? They don't call me to repent. You know why? They don't see what I need to repent of. But this week my wife was in our kitchen, um, maybe a tear or two coming down saying, this has to change. Um, Drew, one of our pastors, will send a text on Friday um, or Saturday when everybody's supposed to be off um, after I've texted out the staff and said, hey, I think we need to do this and say, hey, that'd be great. Let's talk about it during working hours. It's a call to repentance. You know why? They see it. One of the parish leaders when we got together the other day said, hey, we, um, one of the things uh, that I've noticed is that, uh, that there were these two guys in my parish that we had just regular rhythms of confession and repentance together, and then they, they moved 20 minutes away, 25 minutes away, uh, and now we don't. Now, we don't have any kind of regular rhythm of confession and repentance. In fact, it hasn't hardly happened at all in the last three months. You know what's happened? Not only that affected them, but it's, it's affected me also. Repentance being an ongoing lifestyle and not a project requires that we live life with one another. Living life with one another requires that we live near one another. That's why we talk about moving in close. That's a reason. Let's keep, um, let's keep moving. 4A, this is verse 22 again, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So this um, obedience, this purify by obedience to the truth, it's the fruit, the work of the living and abiding word of God, that you have to discipline the scriptures into your life, that the word might by the Spirit, do the work on you that it's supposed to do. And now, if you grew up in church, um, or if you didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in church. I was 22, and I became a Christian, and this is what I heard right away. Hey, man, you know what you got to do? You got to have a quiet time. Anybody heard quiet time? Anybody think, God, that was so stupid. Why, that's so old-fashioned. Why would you? That's what I thought. I, I thought quiet time? Like, that's just weird, man. I'm 22. I haven't stopped talking in 20 years. Um, like, what do you mean, quiet time? Um, uh, and then a couple years ago, I'm sitting with a really good friend of mine, and he said, you know what, man, at some point, at some point, we and you have to stop mocking the name quiet time and start actually doing it. Here's what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, um, holiness doesn't happen by accident. Holiness doesn't happen by accident. It requires discipline. It requires you opening up the scriptures, you living a life of repentance because you've seen yourself in the scriptures, because they have opened you up, and you see yourself more clearly now because you see God more clearly in the Bible. It requires discipline. It will not happen by accident. So holiness is internal. No, nope, I'm going to keep reading. Verse 24, for all flesh like grass and all its glory, like the flower 
of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We're going to skip that, not because we don't want to talk about it, but because that's week four, the preached to you. So let's keep going. Verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And so now Peter moves. He starts out talking about holiness is internal, and now he's moving to it's being, it, it, it's external as well. And so when you see a list like this in the scriptures, um, you can do one of two things, and, and usually both. You can take them one at a time. Um, you can take them one at a time and, and, and really mull on each one, or you can ask yourself, hey, what do they all have in common? Um, and if they all have something in common, we need to see that. And here's what these all have uh, in common. Um, they all have in common that where love builds up and strengthens relationships, these all destroy relationships. These destroy community. These destroy relationships. And so if I were to say to you, um, hey, uh, of the five on here, which one are you? Like, hey, are you malicious? Are you a slanderer? Do you envy? Are you uh, a hypocrite? Um, you deceitful? Um, if you were deceitful, you would lie to me about being deceitful. And so... Uh, but I'm guessing that you would just say, man, I'm really not any of them. I don't know. Like, I'm not that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm holy. Uh, so here's what I want to do. Rather than saying, hey, are, are these specifically uh, uh, you or are these specifically us? I want to ask this. I want to ask, what's the soil that fosters these? Because I think that might take us to some root issues in us. What's the soil that these are fostered in? And I think there's two that I want to highlight. There's more than two, but two I want to highlight. I want to highlight one of them because it's the cultural air that we breathe, and then one of them because it has distinctly affected us at Sojourn, I believe. Um, the cultural air that we believe that we breathe, um, I believe, is consumerism. Um, that we look at the church and we say, hey, I, I want this church because it's, um, you know, the people are good for me and I just need good people in my life, or um, hey, I like the preaching over here, or I like the music over here, or um, hey, I like the way they do this over here, or I like that over there. Um, and so I pick and choose and kind of hop around um, based on what fits my needs today. And we treat the church um, as a consumer. Here's what's going to happen. If, if, if you see the, con- the, the church the way that you see a grocery store, Here's what's going to happen. You're going to start out loving the church. Like, you're going to start out loving us, right? Because we've tickled something that you want. But eventually, someone's going to start calling you out on your sin. Eventually, um, we're going to let you down. And when we do or when they do, here's what's going to happen. Malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy. I've seen it a hundred times over. It's going to happen. And by the way, we will let you down. Jesus won't, the church will. We don't want to, but we will. But then I think for us, one that has maybe more directly impacted our body, this soil number two, if you will, is comparison. The, um, if I just had their family tree, or if I just had their life, or if I just had their stage of life, or their career or their success or if I just weren't this or I weren't that or if I were more like them. And let me tell you, I, I think comparison is like stage four cancer in a church. You leave it unchecked and it's not long. 
I think the five that Peter names are symptoms of those two. So holiness is internal, it's external, uh, but now it's also gradual. Verse two, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That, that phrase long for, the wording long for right there, it's the only imperative in the passage right here. And, um, it's the central imperative. Obviously, it's the only one, but it's also probably the central imperative for the entire book of First Peter. It's the, hey, whatever pure spiritual milk is, your life is to be marked by a longing for it. And in the context, the pure spiritual milk is the word that remains that was preached to you. And I want to read to you what one commentator said because I can't say it better than him. Christians are encouraged to continue to steep themselves in the teaching about Jesus, not to leave it behind now that they have been converted. Indeed, it is by this that they not only came to birth but will also grow up. By the word, you grow. Uh, But to Peter's analogy, like a newborn infant, babies, they grow, but they grow slow. Right, so my wife is pregnant. Uh, she's, you know, that she's out there pregnant, and uh, I, that's not meant to be offensive. Um, she's pregnant. Uh, due in December. Due in December, uh, and so in January, she's going to walk through those doors back there, and she's going to hold our baby, and you're going to walk up, and you're going to say, "Oh my God, she is so gorgeous." Uh, and I know that you're going to say that because I'm your pastor, and it's my baby, and so. You're going to, even if it's not true, you're going to say that. Uh, But if in January 2025, nine years from now, uh, my wife walks in and our baby is still eight pounds, nine ounces, you're not going to be saying she's so gorgeous anymore. You and I are going to both know that something is wrong because babies grow. But you know what else you're not going to do? You're not going to walk in in March uh, and see my four-month-old uh, and say, hey, little, I don't know, we haven't named it yet, but little baby, uh, what's four plus three minus one? What? You don't know? What's wrong with you? Like, my kid at three months is doing algebra. Why can you not? You're not going to say that either. Why? Because babies grow slow, and spiritual maturity is like that. You grow, but you grow slow. And the reality is, the reality is, no matter how much you eat, you still grow slow. Right? You, we've all seen babies who have eaten way too much. <laughs> this is an unplanned analogy that I'm just going to walk right back. <laughs> and... It happens slow. Verse 3. <laughs> if indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord. <laughs> officially eliminated this one from the podcast. <laughs> All right. If indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, uh, here's uh, the, the question I had when I read through this and started studying, was why the word tasted? Why tasted? Why, why, if indeed you have tasted? And then you scan the scriptures and you see taste language all over the Bible. And so why this 
tasting that the Lord is good. Why, why is that in here? Um, I, I think there are at least two reasons for it. One is that the Lord knows that our souls are hungry, that we are hungry, that we long for something, that we want something, that we're designed to hunger. And holiness is learning to feed our souls with the right food. Growing in holiness is learning to feed our souls with the right food. And then second uh, is that Christianity, uh, Christianity is meant to be experienced, not simply understood. All right, so I've, I've never had caviar. Um, I'm more of an omelatina kind of guy. Um, if you're like, oh man, you don't know what you're missing. Um, I don't know what I'm missing. You're right. Um, I'm told that it's slimy and chewy, so it sounds awesome. Um, but I don't know that. I've never experienced it. I've never tasted it. I've never tried it. And Christianity is not meant to be this thing that sits on a platter that you just look at like I would look at caviar. It's meant to be tasted, chewed, experienced. But what exactly are we to um, experience, to, to understand that we've got to get below the surface and ask Peter what he's doing in this phrase. Why is he throwing this in here? Um, and what he's doing is he's citing Psalm 34, 8, that says this. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who has taken, who takes refuge in him. That when we taste the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of the Lord, we find refuge in the Lord. And I want to tell you all this. There has been, from the day I became a Christian until today, a direct link between my pursuit of holiness and my experience of refuge in God. Direct. Let me tell you another way that I've experienced the refuge of God. My, my commitment to the local church, the way in which I've committed myself to the community of believers that I've been called to live my life with, there's been a direct link between that and my experience of God as refuge. And I know this is something that Peter is aware of and longs for, and I know that because the you in the text, the you in First Peter, the if indeed you is plural. It's the, hey, you all, if you have all tasted. And so when we say, hey, what, what if, hey, sojourn, what if, like what if we put down roots and we were just here? What kind of refuge might we experience from God through the church by just saying, I'm willing to put down roots and be here for all of our imperfections? And there are many. For all of my insufficiencies, and there are many. What if we just put down roots and we're willing to be a long-suffering people with one another so that, so that not just us, not just us, but the people around us might experience, might taste the refuge that they're meant to experience. Because I, the level to which you will experience refuge in one another is directly tied to the awareness of your commitment to one another. Longevity matters. So holiness is internal, external, it's experiential. And now verse 4. 
But as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is the, if we could pause, maybe the central message of the Bible right here, um, that he came to us and was rejected by men so that we could come to him and be accepted by God. Central message to all of the scriptures right there. Verse 5. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so one phrase at a time, a spiritual house, that, that this is uh, language for the temple, that, that we are the temple now. And what was the temple? The temple was the place where God dwelt, which is why we say, hey, listen, God doesn't dwell in buildings. He dwells among people. By the Spirit of God, he dwells here among people. And when the um, uh, both Gentile and Jew were reading this, when they read First Peter for the first time, this would have fundamentally redefined the church for them. It would have fundamentally redefined the temple and the church for them as the people, the place where it is that God dwells, which means, listen, you, you don't have to watch your language in here. Like there's nothing that you can't say in here that you shouldn't say out there. Like these walls right here, um, they're made of sheetrock. You know what sheetrock is made of? I don't either. <laughs> but whatever it is, God's not hanging out in there. He's dwelling among a people. He's among us. Would have fundamentally redefined the church for them that buildings are not God's sacred space. The church is God's sacred space. But we're also to be a holy priesthood. Holy, here is our word, saints. A holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, priests were people with a special class of people with special access to God. New Testament um, it, it expands and believers are priests, that you are a priest, I am a priest. I'm not the high priest around here. Like I don't have a special line to God. I, I don't pray on your behalf and God hear in some way that you don't pray and God hears. It's not a special class. We are a holy priesthood together in here and we're a holy priesthood so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices. And what are these spiritual sacrifices? They are our Worship of God, our devotion to God, and our service of one another. That's where we look at Christ and we say, Christ, your sacrifice is enough. Your sacrifice is enough. I'm not trying to earn my way to God. I've set aside the there's good people and there's bad people, and I'm one of the good ones, so I think I'm pretty good. We say, hey, all the world is in the same boat. All are desperately in need of the sacrifice of Christ, and your sacrifice is enough sufficient. It's sufficient. But here's how I want to land the plane, if you will. Um, our sermon is titled, We Are Saints. And so I want to go back to the to be a holy priesthood. And I want you to look at it. I, I want the verse on the screen. I want your eyes either page or there. I want you to see some words here. Do you see where it says, to be a holy priesthood? The word to be, phrase to be, it's not in the original. It's in English for us to help read it. But in the original, there's no verb. 
There's no verb. There is a noun and an adjective. And if you're thinking, hey, I didn't come here for a grammar lesson, Brandon, listen to me. This is not simply grammar. This is life-altering theology. It means that a holy priesthood isn't something that you strive to be. It's something that we are. It's something that you are. It's something that we are. A holy priesthood. Which means, which means what is it? What is to strive for holiness? Striving for holiness is us fighting to become who we are. When we fight sin, when we repent and confess sin, when we open up the scriptures and we let the scriptures wash over us, we are becoming who we are. We are growing in who we are. But it's not just you, it's us. It's our collective holiness. It's our caring about holiness of one another. And we are saints means this. Sojourn. I'm, it means this. It means that we care as much about the holiness of our brother and sister near us as we do our own. And it means that they care as much about our holiness as they do their own. We are saints together. That's why proximity and longevity matter. If we, don't, if we don't move in near one another, if we're not willing to live so close to one another that we get on one another's nerves, which is a beautiful thing. Who doesn't love that? But if, we, if we're not willing to live with one another, we're not going to grow in holiness together because repentance is going to be a project, not a lifestyle. And if we're not willing to put down roots and just be here, just put down roots and be here, we're not going to be that kind of refuge where it's safe to repent and confess sin. Proximity and longevity matter. But Brandon, what, what if I'm only going to be in Houston for like a year or two, maybe three at the very most? I would lovingly, graciously, gently say, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Was that not loving or gracious? I meant to be loving and gracious. But you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Like, you do not know the future. The Lord knows the future. You might have plans. I have had plans at every stage of my life. You want to know a secret? Houston wasn't part of the plans. The humidity of August in H-Town was never a good idea to me. Amen. And I'm here. I don't want to be here. But if you say, I'm only going to be here for a few years, you don't have a clue. Like, there is one who knows your future and you're not it. And I would also say this, lovingly and graciously, I'm striving for it. If you're here, you need to be living like you're going to be here the rest of your life. And if the Lord moves you on, he moves you on. But you need to put down roots today like you're going to be here. You need to not have one foot in on the city and one foot out. One foot in on sojourn and one foot out. Because if that's the case, 
you might not think you're treating the city and the church like a consumer, but eventually it's going to reveal that you have been. Put down roots, live here like you're going to be here the rest of your life. And listen, there are some of us in this room who think, I'm, I'm, I am going to be here for six months and I'm done. And you're going to wind up dying here. And not in six months, to clarify. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know the future either. So, and there are some of you, myself included, that think, man, I'm home. I'm here. I'm going to retire here. I'm going to die here. I'm going to buy my next house to make sure it's one that my kids are coming back to when they grow old. And in two years, I might wind up in sub-Saharan Africa. I have no idea. I don't know the future any more than you do. Put down roots and be here like you're going to be here the rest of your life. That we might be a people that have a shot at taking holiness seriously. That we might be saints together. That we might be that living refuge where it's safe to be honest, to repent, to confess. And that we might collectively be formed in the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we do ask for that. We do ask that you would make us into a holy people, that we might become who we are, that we might grow in holiness, that, that we might live with both feet in. And that for those who, this is the first Sunday they've been with us, and they're thinking, man, this is, uh, not what I thought was going to happen. May they know that, that we are an open invitation as a community to come to Jesus and live a life following him. I pray that we would be marked by holiness, that we would not be uh, the foolish, youthful generation that says uh, what we need is to make Christianity look like the culture around us. May we be willing to be a distinctive, peculiar, and even weird people that we might put the glorious gospel on display. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.